Good morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, like Chris said, go ahead and turn to Psalm 19. Uh, we're going to be finishing off the series this summer where we've been just preaching through the Psalms and looking at what does it mean to be whole people in Christ. And, uh, and some of you may be like, who is this guy? Um, I'm actually coming off of a month-long sabbatical, uh, which has been amazing. Uh, and so I just, as I, as I get going, uh, this sermon today, and I actually changed with Psalm I'll be preaching. By the way, the prompt that we gave to the different network pastors who came in and preached, and even the guys from our team that were preaching, we just gave them the prompt. We said, preach the psalm that God has used to really change your heart, right? A psalm that has really spoken to you. And so that was the prompt this summer. And so uh, I actually changed up which psalm I was going to be doing because I felt like this psalm captured so much of what I experienced on the sabbatical. And, and before saying, I just want to say a, a word of thanks. Uh, a lot of our Nathan and Hannah and Ruth uh, on our staff, and so many of you helped just run with all of the details. Um, I can't tell you how amazing it is to be able to just kind of shut it off and just be able to be with my family, eat way too much, get sunburned, uh, sleep in, uh, all the things I need to do, uh, and know that things are running here. Our staff, Chris, Nick, didn't, I just, I'm thankful they didn't break anything. Uh, <laughs> anything too expensive. But uh, so, and then also just those who preached uh, and filled the pulpit. Uh, and I just want to thank you guys as well. Being in a church where you value, you value rest uh, for your pastors, you value uh, healthy rhythms with our family and just finding the rest when we need that rest. So I just want to start with a word of I'm thankful to the Lord for you and just know there's been a huge blessing uh, to my family. I think also to our staff and then also... Um, uh, just has been very beneficial. We're coming back with a lot of energy. And, uh, and I want to start with just uh, one of the, the moments on our sabbatical that was really, just really memorable. Uh, my wife, Lauren, and I were able to get away to Charleston, South Carolina without our three kids, which if you don't have kids, that's called a miracle. Uh, and so we went away for uh, or four days down to Charleston, dropped off our kids with our in-laws. And uh, if you remember, it was early July, and there was this like hurricane that was hitting around South Carolina. So we arrive, and it's like, hey, guess what? Tomorrow night, there's a hurricane coming. And we're like, oh, that's why the hotel is cheap, right? And, uh, and so we get there, and my wife's like, oh, are we just going like, to hold up in our hotel the whole time? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And I was like, you know what? No, let's go see the hurricane, right? Like we got to, she was like, what? Why would you want to go see it? Like I've always been that way when Lauren, she's from Southern California. I grew up, I was in Ohio in college. It was like, there was a tornado. She's like, a tornado? Let's get it. And I was like, let's go see it, right? Like, I was like, you, you've never seen one? Let's go see a tornado. I've never seen a hurricane, right? It's like the stock market. When everyone's running away, you run in, right? And, uh, and so she's like, no. So we stay in the hotel throughout the evening. And then the next morning, it, it ends up being just like a tropical storm. But I was like, I want to see this thing. So we got the bikes the hotel will give us. And we went down to the Battery Park, which if you know Charleston's like kind of like the tip down right on the, uh, on the bay. And, and so we're looking out and you can just see, you know, these billowing clouds. It's not raining where we are, but we can just see this massive storm off in the distance. And you can feel the wind. And it was just, it was one of those like being right up next to this storm. And, and it was just this amazing moment where it's just, uh, just almost overwhelming, this awe-inspiring moment, right? And some of you are like, it's also foolish if you're in a hurricane, right? But by that point, we were safe. But we were up next to it. And here's the thing. I, there were just so many moments, right? and this, this actually, the picture captures when it's the closest I had. I couldn't capture the clouds of us just on the bikes. And see, we're smiling. No danger. Uh, and so we, uh, this captures that moment. And here's the thing. There's something about, there's something about God's creation. There's something about God's creation that whether it's being up next to a storm, 
whether it's being in a sunset. See, there, there's a reason why, like my wife and I, for all of our uh, anniversaries, we've gone to, we went, you know, we've gone to Charleston. We, we've gone to Hawaii. We've gone to Lake Tahoe in California. We've gone to Niagara Falls. We've gone to places with just beauty, right? You can see creation. It's so, you see sunsets and all. Like, I don't take my wife for our anniversary to Gary, Indiana, right? God, sorry if you're from Gary, Indiana. I just realized I probably offended someone really badly. Or you're like, my husband took me to Gary, Indiana. for. Our... But there's a reason why, like, for anniversaries, I give her flowers, right? I don't give her a box of lag bolts, right? Even though that's more practical, right? Gary, Indiana is probably a better price. But what is it in us that we go, we, we're drawn to God's creation? We're, we're drawn to this beauty that seems to be hardwired into this, this reality that God has crafted all around us. And that's what I experienced on, on sabbatical. That's what I, I'm, I'm realizing as we're going into the end of the summer. And I know even in wintertime, all throughout the year, but this season of, of summer heading into fall, as we're in, in a world, in a culture where obviously things are just constantly swirling all around us, overwhelming us, just distracting us, just kind of like your, your face is always down at your phone. Your face is always down at your calendar. Your face is always down at the email, the to-do list. And it's like, how do we take moments to pull ourselves up out of that and just see the beauty that got us hardwired all around us? And so what I want to look at today, while we still have this time in the summer, is I want to set us up well to learn how to enjoy God's glory in creation. How to enjoy God's glory in creation. I think it's something that we as Christians today need to really grab hold of. Because in in the midst of this echo chamber of debate and derision and polarization, we we, we also live in an echo chamber of glory all around us. And that's what Psalm 19 is going to help us see. So what we're going to look at, we're going to look at first, uh, we're going to look at the message of creation. Then we're going to look at the provocation of creation. And then lastly, the enjoyment of creation. We'll look at how. So I'm going to read Psalm 19, and I'm going to pray. Uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And sky of, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that, that you have made us to know you. You made us to delight in you. You've made us and you've put us into this theater of glory. 
Lord, all around us. And, and Lord, while we, we, I know we're all coming in here, and in different ways, Lord, we're being so pulled, our attention is being pulled off, and all these little corridors and all these little things that distract us from seeing that glory. And so, Lord, I know that so many of us are walking in here this morning, where it just seems like everything that's taking our attention is, is causing anxiety, overwhelming us, and Lord, help us. Lord, to find rest and seeing your glory all around us. Lord, you can see, see the bigger picture, to have that perspective. It's, Lord, awesome in the midst of it. Help us to see not just your glory and creation all around us, but to hear of specifically your glory and how we can know you in your word. We ask that you would point us to Christ this morning. Point us to your glory. Point us to joy. Teach us how to find joy in your glory. You've hardwired into all of creation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there, there's a direct connection be, between God's glory and God's creation. There's a direct connection between God's glory and God's creation. We see this inferred when Jesus is praying in the high priestly prayer in John 17, 5. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus is praying to his Father, and he says, he, he's inferring, Father, there's a glory that we had together before the world existed. Now, why does Jesus pray that? Why does that matter? Why does it matter that, that there was a glory within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before the world existed? Well, it tells us something about the nature of the creation that we live in. See, before, and, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, I just, this is like central. I love this, this truth, and I think we need it so much today because what, what it means is that be, before the world was created, before anything existed, God existed from eternity past, and he existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as he existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, John, 1 John tells us that God is love, that God is in this community of delights, and God is enjoying himself. And, and see, God didn't create the world. Like, why did God create the world? The great philosophical question. Well, some people say, well, you know, maybe God was lonely. God needs something to do. He's twiddling his thumbs. And he's like, well, right? why did God create? God created the world because out of this delight that he had within himself, it overflowed and expression. See, God created the world just like an artist creates and takes a blank canvas and, and creates a canvas and then paints on that canvas and paints a picture. God created the world so that it would mirror, it would give a picture of his glory, a picture of his power, a picture of his love, a picture of his faithfulness, a picture of his, his, his mightiness, his truth, his beauty. And he hard, hardwired it into the entire cosmos like a picture. And then in the midst of that, what John Calvin called a theater of glory, he placed us with a unique capacity as human beings made in his image to light in his glory. And so you see, the reason, the reason why the Psalms go here and they talk about God's creation is that means that all of the creation around here is, is speaking and, and telling us about God's glory. It's revealing God's glory. Just like you can look at a beautiful uh, painting or work of art and it tells you something about the, the, the love and nature of the artist who created it. So also we can look at God's creation and it tells us something. It points us to something of who God is. Romans 1.20 says, For his, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Now there's a little bit here we're going to come back to. So they are without excuse. We'll come back to that. 
See, that's why creation is so captivating. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever like taken, I, I know this is like the philosophical, you're like, I don't know, I just like, I, I eat something or I see flower, I'm like, pretty, right? You don't like stop and you're like, why, why do I find that flower pretty, right? Like, but for some reason, all creation, I'm sure no one in here is like, I wish, I wish I could spend my life eating paste that doesn't have taste and that's how I get my food. And then also I could just be in like a black abyss with no sunrises, no beautiful things around me, no delightful smells, but I would just live in like kind of this ether and not enjoy anything. We all enjoy the creation around us, but why is that? It's because the creation around us points to a creator. Everything good, true, beautiful around us, everything lovely points to something about the nature of the, of the creator who made it. This is why, see, there's something behind creation. You could say there's someone, something deeper, and that's what's resonating with us. That's why it's like a magnet that pulls on our soul to that beauty. So why Psalm 111 says, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. That we're encouraged to, to look around us, at the world around us, at creation, and we're to go to it and look, look at like a rock and say, what does this say about God? Now, let me just really quickly, I, I, this could be like a whole unpacking because I'm, I'm aware that we live in a day where a lot of new age stuff worships creation. There's a lot of pantheism that's coming in and uh, other big words and blah, 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 right? And there are things I could go into, but this is summed up well by a theologian named Herman Bavink. He says, this, he says creation is to be neither defi- or deified nor despoiled, but delighted in. So the Bible tells us is we should delight in creation. We should look at it because it points us, as we'll see, to God. It points us to the creation. But we shouldn't deify creation and worship creation, nor at the same time should we just junk creation as if it doesn't point to a glorious God and just trash the thing. We're to delight in it. To delight in it. Because look at how effective creation is at telling us about God. Psalm 19. Notice the speaking language here. Notice the speaking language in the first six verses or three verses here. The heavens declare the glory of God. So the heavens are declaring something and they're declaring glory. So the heavens, when you go out into the countryside and, and some, you get out of the light pollution and you can see all the stars and you can see the Milky Way galaxy or whatever those things are up there, right? And you're looking at, you're just in awe. What that's doing is it's proclaiming to you. It's declaring to you glory, glory beyond what you can fathom. And sky above proclaims his handiwork. Someone knitted this together. Day to day pours out speech, communication, telling us and revealing things. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, that speech, that voice from nature, it's never like so suppressed, it's no, so, never uh, so overcome that it's not proclaiming God's glory. So I, I made fun of Gary, Indiana earlier. Again, I'm so, sorry if, I, <laughs> if you're from Gary, Indiana. But even Gary, Indiana proclaims the glory of God, right? And the nature that you have there. God's glory always breaks through. His creation always is proclaiming to us how good he is and how glorious he is. In verse 4, their voice goes out through the ends of the earth and their words to the end of the world. Nowhere. And then he gives us a nowhere where it's not heard. And then he gives us like this, this case study in the sun. 
In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. So he says, even here's a case study. Here's an example. The sun every day. Do you know why it comes up? Because it says something about the faithfulness of your God who comes up every single day, just like your wedding day. When a groom wakes up and he's like, I'm going today to the altar to marry the woman of my dreams. And he said, the sun is coming up every day to say your God has a heart like that. And every day, faithfully, the sun comes up again and again and again, no matter how dark your night. And also this childlike wonder, like my children, you know, I throw them in the pool or whatever we're doing, and they're like, again, Dad, again, right? And it's like this childlike wonder, do it again. Do the drama again. Put it on display again. Show them that glory again. Show them your faithfulness again every day. Do you realize that creation all around you, glory, God is speaking, proclaiming, singing over us these truths about him. That's amazing, isn't it? Let me, uh, let's just take kind of a few, a few pictures here. To just walk through, like, what do these things say about the nature of who God is? So throw up the, uh, the first picture, so a rose, right? The intricacy, the beauty. You know, they say slow down and smell the roses, Right? Do you ever slow down and actually just notice in the things around? Like one of the things I love, we moved from Southern California last year. Southern California has its own beauty, right? With the mountains and the, the ocean and, and some of the things. But one of the things since moving here is how green everything is. And all the flowers that just bloom everywhere. I'm trying to constantly hack them back in my yard. I'm like, why does everything grow here? I couldn't get anything to grow in California. But the, the beauty around us. We have a Lord who is beautiful who's kind, who loves. Next one. A storm, right? Kind of like when I talk about the hurricane. Right? What does this say? Have you ever been there when the, the storms roll in across the field, right? And you just want to be near it, and you can feel that static in the air, and you can feel this like rumbling with the thunder, or you feel the windows shaking, and all of it, it says to you there's something out there that's large, that's powerful, that's mighty. Well, also sustaining my world because he waters the crops. Next one. Anyone know what this is? Anyone know? Any of the, any of the like, spacey nerds out there know? Anyone? Black hole, right? So this is the first shot they ever found of, they actually were able to capture of a black hole. And this just says how mind-blowing when I think of this God is. How almost we come to the end of ourselves sometimes in contemplating who God is, but we can never know him exhaustively as finite creatures. And it just says that God, he is beyond what we can even fathom. And so next one, the galaxy, right? How expansive, how large. Isn't it hard to even grasp that God is larger than all these things? He's powerful all over all of them. In this, where we're one tiny little dot in there, I think, are we in that? Are we outside? I don't know. I never know if we're in it or outside it. I don't understand space. I'm like, well, if you go there, then you go back in time, and then you're, I'm like, I, my brain just broke. I don't understand. All I know is it's pretty, and God is holding it all together. It's crazy. All right, next one. But at the same time, do you notice, I, I love how almost like the galaxy, you almost, it almost looks the same in the human eye, where it's like at the same time, you have a condensed and this intricate complexity hardwired into each of one of us. In other words, it's massive like the galaxy, but also God's glory is displaying the intricacies at a molecular level. Scientists still don't know how to make a human eye. They can't replicate it. God's glory also condensed into our ability to see in the human eye. And lastly, 
I had to have something cute, right? Like everyone's like, all God's people said, aw, right? Amen. Uh, right, cute, cuddly birds, right? And this, why did God create those birds that way? Like, can, you, can you think about it? Like, God's not just like, okay, brown like pigeon. All right, dove. All right, and he's like, Jesus is like, how about we put the entire rainbow in one bird? He's like, oh, that's an amazing idea, right? It looks like my, it looks like my five-year-old colored this bird, right? You're just like, yes, next color, next color, next color, right? Like, just there's something about how God has hardwired, and you can have animal after animal and species, and you can have penguins who for millions, billions, however long it was, walking back and forth every single year to the Arctic Circle, marching with their little eggs under their fat bellies, back and forth, and no one even knew about it until more Morgan Freeman came along and made a movie for us all to know. Like, no one saw that. But God is up in heaven just delighting. It says in the Psalms that even he has the, the fish in the sea that he's just delighting in them. Like some creature that if we saw, we'd probably die of a heart attack if we're on a fishing boat. But God's just delighting in this creature. God is a God of delight who, who just has created this world full of delight, full of glory, so we would delight and join in it. And we'd see it all around us. And we'd see things about him. Uh, C.S. Lewis captures how we do this well. He says, adoration says, what must be the quality of that being? So adoration, worship, enjoying. What must be the quality of that being who's far off in momentary core crustaceans, which is like the twinkling of the stars, that's what that word means, are like this. One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. Catch what he says there? That it's like all the things that we see in creation around us. He said it's like, we, it's like seeing the sunbeam and what it should make our heart do is go, if it's like that, to run up the sunbeam to the source and go then how glorious, how good, how mighty, how beautiful, how faithful, how loving, how good must he be creation all around us. It's proclaiming God's glory. Do you hear creation's message? Now, when we do that, when we go to hear creation's message, at the same time, the psalmist says we need something else as well. We need something else as well. So the provocation of creation. Well, creation can tell us about God generally. It can't reconcile us to God. This is very important. We need something else. Creation can't reconcile us to God. We're going to come back around to this. I think more on that in a moment. I, I think it'd be helpful really quick to just lay out what Psalm 19 is going to do here and use kind of some two uh, terms that theologians have developed to kind of capture this. They talk about there are two kinds of revelation, two kinds of ways God reveals himself. One is called general revelation in creation. Some call it natural revelation. I like the term general revelation. Just, and then also there's special revelation, right, which is like God's word. And so the, these two, I, I think I can put them right next to each other. General revelation, which is like the first six verses of Psalm 19. General revelation is by events, nature, history, rather than words. Seeing kind of the threads of the creator throughout all these things and disciplines. Revelation is given to all of mankind. That's what uh, general revelation is. given to all mankind. Everyone has access to it. Everyone this morning can go out and see the sun. Everyone can see the moon. Revelation that does not present the way of salvation, though. At the same time, it doesn't present the way to salvation. It doesn't, because the, at the end of the day, you want that relationship with God, and how can I be restored to that relationship? I'm going to... Pack really what's at the heart of that, why I'm saying that. But then special revelation, which we're going to unpack here in a minute, here in uh, Psalm 19, is revelation by God's word. 
God has spoken, and he has made things known. So when we see the son, we would know, hey, that means my faithfulness. This is what my faithfulness is like, and he, he explains it to us. So it's not just this general idea of like, well, it's faithfulness like that, and I know how I'm faithful. Oh, my goodness, I know how my father was faithful. Hmm, which one? How do I understand this, right? God has to reveal because we live in a fallen world. Revelation not given to all mankind, but to those whom God has revealed it. So not everyone, no one has access to it unless they have access to his word. And then revelation about salvation. So specifically, how can we have a relationship with God, know God, be reconciled to God? So there are two different kinds of revelation. Now, does that mean that they're just completely opposed to one another? No, they actually work together. They're meant to work together. Uh, To capture how they work, work together, look at starting in verse 7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. So this is going into the word of the Lord, uh, or, or sorry, the Bible, scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, they would use the term law many times, and that would sum up. And what's going to happen here is because in the Psalms, as we've been going through it, you've heard that there's kind of this thing called, uh, there's, there's parallelism, and there's synthetic parallelism, which will actually build on using kind of different synonyms and adjectives to, to explain different things from different angles. Okay, so it's going to use several different terms here. So the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul, the testimony. So the Lord has revealed things about himself, about who he is and his inner life and and what he desires and how he's created the world. He has testified to that. He's revealed it, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So the little, the words and and the phrases and the truths that are in there, the nuggets that you're mining for in God's word, those are right. And that rejoices the heart. Because you know you can grab hold of it, and you're like, I found truth here. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Oh, gosh, there's so much. I, I know it's hot in here, by the way. Um, if, if you're hot, believe me, I am. You're about ready to see that I'm hot up here. Uh, and so I, I, it's like I want to hit this, and, and I know because it's warm, I want to get through it. So I'm going to go off on side tangents. But you know why the commandment of the Lord is pure? Because the commandments of the Lord, think Ten Commandments, the commandments were not a mistake, like, or just added on arbitrarily later. It's not like humanity started misbehaving, right? And you go to kindergarten, and then kindergarten, they're like, here's the rules for the class, be respectful, and, you know, and you have those, and you're like, well, we had to make them up because everyone's messed up, but who made them up? Who's standard? Why are, who created these? Why are they created? Are they really for our good, or is it just to kind of maintain the chaos? The reason why God gave us his commandments and his law is because, not just because they're arbitrary, because he's revealing something about the way the world is hardwired around us morally and ethically because it flows out of who he is. God created a world that's glorious with certain realities hardwired into being male and female and being married and what it means to treat our neighbors. And so if you murder someone or you cheat on your wife, you will break down psychologically. God's commandments are pure because they come from him. They reveal things about him. And the world around us is hardwired with those realities, hardwired into them. You can't escape them in that way. But you can learn to delight in them. They're pure, which enlighten the eyes. We're not walking in darkness. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, here's this. More, are, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
Now, why is he sad? What's interesting is he's had the general revelation piece, and now he comes in the special revelation. He's revealing about God's word. And what's interesting here is now he starts using satisfaction language, right? Honeycomb, I know you guys are like, is that like a cereal thing, right? Like, what's honeycomb? Why am I all about honeycomb? It's like gold and honeycomb. Like, those are, honeycomb was as valuable as gold in the ancient world. You know why? Because it was like, it was the equivalent of Snickers, right? Like it was the most satisfying, yummy reality in the world. And so they're saying, when I have this, there's something satisfying now about having God's special revelation. And that's key for understanding the, revela- the nature between general revelation and special revelation, between what God reveals in creation and what God is revealing in his word. And here's to sum it up. It's that general revelation provokes our yearning. General revelation provokes a yearning. But at the same time, special revelation reveals what will satisfy our yearning. Special revelation reveals what will satisfy that yearning. So you, you see something in creation, and you're like, I, like, you desire this power. You desire to feel safe. You desire to this love and this glory, this truth, this beauty that's all around you when you're looking at, and it re, you're, that's revealed to you, and you have this natural sense within you and your conscience that you want these things, and it creates this yearning, and we go throughout our lives just wondering, where do I tap in to find that? And what special revelation does is it comes along and it says, this is where you ultimately find it. General revelation is meant to provoke that yearning. Special revelation discloses it. Not just the what of creation, but the who behind creation. There is someone who is good, true, and beautiful. Now, that is important because, let me put it this way. How how do you know that the who behind creation will accept you? Let me come at it from a different angle. If you... Let's say you're in a lovely house, right? You're like, this house is amazing. And and you're in the house and you're enjoying it and you're sitting on the sofas and I don't know, there's amazing food and you're just like, this is amazing. But then the person comes in and and they come, the owner of the house, they come in who's designed it and it reflects something about them and they look at you and and they say, you've actually broken in here and you've been destroying things this whole time and you've been misusing things this whole time. And you realize, you look around, you're like, oh my goodness, I have kind of trashed the place, right? And then all of a sudden you go, is what's lovely about this place, it's something that's around me, and I see it says something about them, but is that love also extended to me? Because in that moment, that passion that that builder, that that owner exhibited might not be love towards you, but love on its flip side is jealous and manifest in wrath to protect what it loves. And that's what Romans 1 goes on to say. Remember I quoted it earlier, and Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We started to worship creation, serve it as God, to try to be like it. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creature who is blessed forever. Amen. So what Paul is saying here is that instead of seeing beauty and praising God for it, we use it for ourselves. Or we trash it. Instead of seeing strength and praising God for it, we use it to abuse others. Instead of seeing truth and praising God for it, we distort truth and manipulate others with truth or untruth. 
is clear. God is passionate about his glory, his creation. But in what way does that mean that he's passionate about you and I? Because again, passion could manifest as love or as wrath. The question is, which one will it be for us? It's kind of like the Taken movies. Like, we get this, right? Taken, the movies. They're like, oh, wait, we're talking about Taken now, right? Uh, the Liam Nielsen movies. I don't know. There's like 20 of them now, right? It's like you got like the Christmas edition, the college years. I don't know. They have all these different editions. Like, I feel like I've heard this before, right? And so, it, but over, and then I just saw one, like, commuter, he's on a train. And I was like, it's Taken again. It's just on a train. Okay, we get to learn about trains while watching Taken. But there's something about it that draws us in. Why? Because there's a father's love, and his child, who he loves, is now being hurt. And his jealous love manifests as love for that child, but it's manifesting as wrath against anyone who would come up against that child. And we are drawn to watch it by the millions again and again and again from different angles because it resonates with something we know is true. And then we have to ask, is the same thing true? When we see his love, how do we know it's for us? You know, I think this, what I want to do is just how general revelation points to special revelation. How do we know that? How, does, how do we know God, his love is for us? He's passionately pursuing us. Look again at verses 4 through 6, the end of verse 4. In them he has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Why did God give us this picture? Because he's saying faithfully every morning, every day some, a new reality is born. And I have done something. There's something in my heart that's already hardwired into the heavens to sing over you every day that, yes, while you may have the dark night of the soul, while you may walk away from me, while you may commit darkness, I have done something, a bridegroom who has come to rescue his bride, to come to his bride in delight, in passion, in the same way that I've created, I will recreate you in the same way. And the heavens are declaring it. God's already hardwired it in this message. And what he's saying is, my son will come for you. And then also, when you see that, that there's something that pursues, that loves, that will save, that will redeem. And your heart goes, I want that, I want that. But how can I know I can have that? Then Isaiah tells us, talking about Christ, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. creation, the desires that we have in our heart, the desire, the things we're made for, and yet all around us, just this example, it's proclaiming to us and pointing us to God's word where he's saying, this is how it's possible, that I am passionate for you, will save you, I will come for you. And every day the sun sings that truth over us and illumines everything around us. See, while creation may give us a sense of love, only God's word can tell us where we can find that love ultimately. The same God who hung the sun and the moon and the stars entered this creation to lovingly save us. He leveraged all of it. 
Jesus was on the cross, this is why the ground shakes and the heavens tremble and the sky grows dark because it's the best picture God can give us of what it looks like in that moment for the Son of God to take on the brokenness and the evil of our sin. He says it's like creation almost gives way. But my love wins out and redeems. Creation provokes the yearning, but only God's word can tell you how to satisfy. So lastly, let's look at how to enjoy God's glory in creation. Make this quick so I don't embarrass myself with my sweaty armpits. Uh, the enjoyment of creation. One encouragement this week, or in the coming weeks, schedule time unplugged in creation to contemplate God's glory. Schedule time unplugged in creation to contemplate God's glory. Every part of that statement is purposeful. Schedule time. What gets done, or what gets scheduled, gets done. I guess this is just like planning 101, right? What gets scheduled gets done. Our best intentions, my best intentions, just fly away on the wings of happy thoughts, right? Sentiments. But what I'm saying is in the morning, schedule, for instance, to walk out on your back porch and look at the sunrise. Schedule time to go out and go for a walk. We are surrounded by God's, like I took my friend yesterday to Devil's Eye Spot. And it was like, I wish it were 55 degrees in here like that. And it, it was just amazing. And it was beautiful. And it was like, go to these places and just schedule time to be there. To slow down, to get away from the busyness. Schedule time. Unplugged. Turn off devices. Turn off your devices. Uh, I think even with, I, I found myself like taking pictures. Like I would see like, it was like, oh, that's pretty. And it was like before my eyes even got it, it was like my phone's like, uh, it's like everything's filtered and framed. Just don't filter it. Don't frame it for a, for a while. Take it in. Don't try to capture it and get it in your pocket. Oh, I'll take that in later. You never go back and look at them, right? They're just like in your Google photo drive thing, right? Take it in. There's a... Um, Anne Lamott, she says, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. Uh, we unplug our laptops, our phones. We unplug all these things. We shut them down because they have a duty cycle. We know they'll burn out if we don't. And if they're that way, then how much does it mean about us? Unplug. In creation. Uh, I've been trying to use the word creation versus nature this morning, for very purposefully. Nature isn't a bad word, but usually when we use nature, we mean like, it's just natural. It's just kind of come about, and there's no meaning behind it. But creation means that there's a creator, and a creator encodes meaning into everything that he creates. There's meaning and purpose behind it. And so when you're there, think about the ways, what has God, what is God saying about himself in his creation? What does it say about the creator? And then with that, contemplate God's presence. Now, some of you hear the word contemplation, you go, uh, I don't know about that word, right? Contemplation is a biblical word. Contemplation actually comes from the combination of con and temple, con with and temple. It comes from places like Psalm 27.4, when David said, I came into your temple, into your presence, God, and, I, and I, my heart was changed because I could see you and worship you. And what, what God has called us to do is throughout our lives to bring God, God into the present moment, and to acknowledge his presence, to acknowledge his glory, to acknowledge that he's there. So we're not going through life stressed out and overwhelmed without the reality of my God is present. If David went into God's temple, now we are the temple. God's Holy Spirit dwells in us. God's presence is with us. And he wants us to be just aware of it. 
when we go in the nature, it's one of these ways that hardwires us to see God all around us. So that when we're in the, the bank doing something stressful, when we're at work doing something stressful in class, we're more aware of God's presence. Jesus says, seek my kingdom. Seek the reality of my reign. Consider the truth of who I am by everything around you, right? We have the, the passage where Jesus says, when he's teaching him, he says, consider, look, look, to the, look to the birds of the air. Consider the lilies. When he's talking about being stressed, when he's talking about being riddled with anxiety, when he's talking about just constantly being in like this tumultuous sea of emotions, he says, look to these things. Look to these things and consider. So spend time unplugged in creation and listen even for just a watch, catch, catch the breeze, right? Going through the flowers, capture, smell the flowers, slow down and just examine the bark on a tree, examine bugs. When we were in Louisville at the beginning of the thing, I, there were cicadas everywhere, right? This is the summer of the plague. So I was like capturing cicadas and I didn't realize how terrifying it was to my children because I'd capture them and like hold them and be like, look at this. And they're like, ah! <laughs> I was like, maybe it's the red eyes. But uh, like, it was just amazing, the intricacy of these, these insects. Like, slow down and just look at creation all around you. And then follow the sunbeam back up to the sun. Follow back up to God. Have a few lines from Scripture, from the Psalms to contemplate in your mind. And allow creation to provoke a yearning. Provoke a yearning. And then point your heart to what it's pointing to, which is in how it's satisfied in Jesus Christ. And see it in God's word. And here's the thing, verse 14, this is how we get to the place. The psalmist has brought together general revelation and special revelation. He says they're both meant to create in you the reality of verse 14 that he ends with. That the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart would be acceptable in God's sight. Be filled with joy and delight, mirroring his joy and delight. And that you would know that he is your rock, he's your redeemer, he is your Lord. If he's created this world, if he's created the mountains, he will never fail you. Anthem all around you, creation reveals a God who is good, true, and beautiful. Follow the sunbeam back up to the sun. Take some time this week, unplug and enjoy the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths. Lord, we thank you that you've, you are a God of passionate love for yourself of delight, of joy in your holiness, in, and it goes public in your glory. And Lord, you've hardwired this cosmos with your glory and that you've placed us in this place. Lord, we thank you that you're just not a God who's just dull and, and just a God of, of just a dirge. But God, you are a God who is faithful and filled with delight. You're filled with life and you invite us into it. You've given us the capacity to. And so Lord, help us tune our hearts this week. Tune our hearts to your grace. Tune our hearts to your glory. So, Lord, where that glory is resonating all around us, we'd be aware of it. And, Lord, in the midst of the realities of life, Lord, we would still walk with this perspective that just sees how good you are. And so, Lord, help us, provoke us all around us with your glory, and then help us run to your word to see the ultimate satisfaction of that, what you've accomplished in your son, in his death and resurrection. We thank you for him. In Jesus' name. Amen.